Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Away We Go. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed, please be aware that there are plot spoilers. Enjoy. Not Halloween anymore. We've got all Halloweened out with Twilight. Halloween has been and gone. Yeah. Hallow bean. <laughs> Hello boring. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you once again have to look at my chin, I'm afraid. That's alright. It's one of my favourite things to look at. <laughs> it's not bad. I uh, I did trim my beard today. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I trimmed it down to basically just stubble. And then it grows back nicely. Find if I do that. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, it's looking good from what I can see from the from the quarter of your chin that I can see right now. <laughs> that isn't obscured by the mic. Oh, no, you, yes. you got most of my face now, and I've got yeah, your your face, but it's sideways. Yes, it's my good side. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Have you had a good weekend? Yes, um, the the weekend that we're recording this is the same weekend that Stranger Things season two appeared. Yeah, so we have been watching that. I um, have not started watching it yet, but I will this week. So no spoilers, but is it good? Yeah, we're, we've watched the first few episodes now, and uh, we're we're well keen. We're, we're enjoying it a lot. Excellent. I, I enjoyed the first season very much, as you know, as we discussed in our Twilight episode. It's got a. Um, a flawed police chief character, which is something I always go for. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Stranger Things as a whole is one of the few things that, like, the hype is justified. Like, it's it's very, very hyped. To do. I don't know, maybe it's just the subset of people that I follow on Twitter that defines the way that I think of a thing being hyped. But everyone's talking about it, but it actually deserves it because it is really good. Yeah, I, I, I think... One of the, I, I don't think it necessarily deserves the full hype that it's got because people have been saying that it's like this life-changing TV event. But I, I do love it a lot, um, particularly because it basically references several of my favourite things all in one go, which I'm totally keen on. So if you mix together like The Thing with Alien, with Stand By Me and It, all in all lumped it together into one thing, then... Uh, then you're in for a good time if you're Rob Gordon watching Stranger Things. And a load of great kid actors as well. Mm-hmm. Our boy Finn Wolfhard, obviously. Indeed, yeah. Good old Finn Wolfhard. But he's not the only one. They're all good. No, they're, they're all great. Every single person in it is fantastic. Um, Sorry, and, I'm very, that's... very rudely eating some Hershey's chocolate. Yeah, I've never, I'm always drinking on the podcast. Not booze, just like tea or water. But <laughs> I got given some, some Hershey's chocolate. Because Claire's mum and dad went to the US. Um, and I just noticed it was here on the shelf in the office, so I'm eating it. Oh, very nice. Um, I wish I had some Hershey's chocolate. We had, we've got some um, Halloween-themed Reese's pumpkins instead Ooh. of peanut butter cups, which are nice. Nice. Um, I'm a big fan of the Reese's. We have yeah, actual Reese's peanut butter in our kitchen that also came from the US. 
It's, oh, good, good. It's incredibly smooth. Are you, do you like peanut butter? I love peanut butter. Peanut butter is one of my favourite things in the world. But are you, well, are you a crunchy peanut butter purist? I'm not a, a crunchy purist. I do like smooth, but I do prefer the crunch. Um, but if you get something like, I, I don't necessarily like. Um, I don't. I don't think that uh, Reese's peanut butter itself is the best of the smooths. I'd say Skippy Ooh. is superior. Skippy's is very which nice. Might, which might be a controversial thing to say, but I'm I, I'm Skippy for life in terms of like the American brands. Um, Sunpat is is the greatest of the ones that's generally available in the UK. Yeah, Sunpat. Sunpat's all right. I'm okay with that. But I, yeah, I, I would definitely place it below Skippy and Reese's. But the Reese's, there's a smoothness to the Reese's that I haven't seen anywhere else. So yeah, I like a bit of Skippy. Skippy, Skippy's my all-time fave. Yeah, Skippy the bush kangaroo. Yeah, which is how they make uh, Skippy peanut butter. Is kangaroos crush it with their with their mad leg skills? Mad leg skills. Yeah. Because you know they're like hopping everywhere. There's oh a yeah, lot of power yeah. in a kangaroo, and so that, so that you, you that, got a bit cut um, off there. So all I heard was mad leg skills. That's oh right, you, okay. You might have been talking about foot sport. <laughs> no, but I imagine kangaroos would be really good at playing football. Yeah, they could head it as well. They could, yeah. I think uh, kangaroo football is is an area that that people have not gone into well enough i think <laughs> who do you reckon would win a team of is it 11 people on a football team yes it is a team of 11 david ikes versus 11 kangaroos i think the kang- the kangaroos would win but they would then later be disqualified for being reptilian kangaroos mm. um, which wasn't part of the initial agreement and so david ike would uncover that they're all reptilians and uh then you know, bin it off and be like, this was an unfair match. They've come from the fake moon to try and play football against me. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, a um, friend of the podcast, Martin Johnston, tweeted us a link to um, Billy Corgan espousing a, a lizard-based conspiracy theory about the music industry. So, oh, Billy, no. Him and, no, him not... and David Icke should have a chat. <laughs> that makes me really sad because I love Smashing Pumpkins and I love Billy Corgan. Um. But also, yeah. that's weird because if you were gonna look at just looking at people in the music industry, if you were gonna say someone looks like they might be a lizard man, Billy Corgan would be pretty high up my list of people I suspect was a lizard man. Yeah, isn't he completely hairless? He is completely hairless, like a lizard. <laughs> yeah. Um, despite all his rage, he's still just a lizard in a cage. <laughs> okay. Wait, the reason I'm laughing is because um, the audio skipped and you went cage without even like deliberately <laughs> <laughs> deliberately dropping it in. Nicholas Cage. Despite all my rage, I am still just Nicholas Cage. <laughs> oh, if you haven't heard this show before, that's a reference to the the trailer for the film Stolen. Which you'll also be aware of if you've listened to the Flop House, which is a very good film podcast. Um, but yeah, by the the, the voiceover says Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. 
Um, I feel like now that now that we're over twenty five episodes, it's at the point where we have to like like people might be coming in late or that kind of thing or jumping in in the middle or just trying like a random new episode to see how it goes. So we might have to start explaining ourselves. Although I'm not going to explain sensations, obviously. Like the sensations supercut is out there, so you can go and listen to that. People can discover that for themselves. They can work out sensations. And and yeah. they deserve to. They should go and find out about our incredible movie that we're making. It's going to be the best film of all time. It is. It is. Although although this week's movie, that's, that's a pretty good film, don't you think? So I, I I liked it a lot. It was nice. Um, had you seen it before? I think you said you I had. had. I had seen it before, yeah. Yeah, I've, um, I've watched it a couple of times before. Um, it has one of my favorite men in it. Um, Jeff Daniels. Old, uh, <laughs> in, 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 actually, it does have a couple of my favorite men in it. Yeah. Um, it's got old old John Krasinski. It's got Jeff Daniels in it. And it's got that guy that I don't know the name of, but I like in everything. Jim Gaffigan. Um, no, uh, Chris Messiner. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is who, incredibly handsome. He's He is a super handsome guy. He's the kind of guy that you look at and you're like, why do I not look like that? Yeah. He's and a you can tell he's not piece of man. He's not that tall, and I think it that comes with, like you can even tell in a lot of the scenes that you're looking at him that he's not necessarily a tall man, and so it's rare for you to look at a guy who I think is below average height and be like, oh, he's quite handsome, but he's got he's he's nicely nicely toned, but he's just got like a kind face, you know. Yeah, I love him. He's he's really good at playing a, a douchebag as well, though. Yeah, he's got versatility to him. Um, so yeah, I. Yeah, I, there's lots of good people in this, and then there's lots of my favourite women in this as well. So um, obviously, Maya Rudolph is great. Um, Alison Janney, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, yeah, and Catherine O'Hara. So it's you know, it's, it's a, a great, real kind of all-star cast. cast. Yeah, it's like it's well, everyone's very well chosen. It's yeah, it's great. And, uh, yeah. and lots of people that are super lovable as well. Chris Messina is in a film called The Giant Mechanical Man. Have you ever seen that? I have not, no. It's a very good film. And, and there's a link, which is to um, John Krasinski, sort of, which is that it, the um, his co-star in that film is Jenna Fisher, <laughs> a.k.a. Pam from The Office. Ah. And it's where he he plays one of those like street costume guys, like you see around Covent Garden. Um, and oh, yeah. And she kind of... They end up having this kind of weird relationship, and it's really slow. I think it's it's probably on the fringes of the mumblecore movement, and I think it's it's not. I think it's on Netflix. Um, we just kind of randomly stumbled across it one day. I don't think it was particularly popular or or well promoted or anything, but I I really enjoyed it as a kind of slow, bumbling indie film. That's worth watching. Oh, cool! I've heard the name of it before. I've just never seen it. Um, so that yeah, I might have to check that out sometime. Yeah, uh, he was he was in um, he was in uh, the newsroom, which is a link with Jeff Daniels, um, which is a very good TV show from Aaron Sorkin. I never saw that. I always meant to. Yeah, it was nice. It wasn't it wasn't up there with the West Wing, but it was good. the The main flaw of it was that they had to rush the final season into too few episodes because it was getting binned off. Right. Um, which was very sad. Um, so you could see all of the great ideas that they had for the final season, but it never really was able to reach those heights, unfortunately. But it's That's still a, a very good show. A, it's worth watching. A big problem with US TV, isn't it? That stuff just gets binned off. 
gets gets thrown in the bin, mm. and has to um, try and resolve a bunch of stuff on its way down into the bin. Yeah, and it's never easy to resolve anything when you're on your way to the bin. No, which is kind of like the situation that the UK is in right now. <laughs> we are heading towards the bin. Yeah. Um, but you, but your attitude, Paddy, um, is is not helping. Yeah, you know, um, I'm the problem. You're you are the problem. Your negativity is what's causing Britain to collapse. Yeah, not I policy. Need, I need to stop talking Britain down. Yeah, because because Britain is basically an insecure toddler, and the moment that you say anything uh, negative to it, it 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 loses all confidence and and fails because that's yeah. how countries work and that's how politics works yeah that's exactly how countries work because countries are the same as people and as households and in particular the uh, the national like the way that national spending works is exactly the same as a household budget yeah for sure and and also remember that um any kind of um discussions in politics uh, to try and reach trade agreements that's exactly the same as playing poker yeah um that's that's also entirely accurate that that's how that's how it all works actually i think it's more like you know there's that famous painting of dogs playing poker <laughs> i think it's like that that that's legit true it's totally like that <laughs> yeah but anyway back to um back to away we go um yeah john krasinski at this point i think i picked up this film on DVD, actually, it must have been one of the last films I bought in the the DVD era because it came out in two thousand and nine, and I think I bought it in, I bought it in the when we were doing our masters um, in creative writing because I was a fan of Dave Eggers who wrote the script with his wife, Venda La Vida, who is also my favorite Coldplay album, and. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, yeah, I just I popped it on and I really enjoyed it. I think I'd been reading some of Dave Eggers' work anyway out of a creativity um, point of view because someone had recommended him as a good storyteller and a great writer. And I was impressed to see that he was a good screenwriter as well because not many people are able to make that leap, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's a very different skill set to have. Um, and it's it's always interesting when people are able to make that move between different mediums um the the one that i um particularly am impressed by is alex garland yeah who um who as i was really, saying that i thought of alex garland because i knew that you're a fan yeah who's sort of he's he's written some amazing novels then he wrote some incredible film scripts and now he directs and the stuff that he's directed so far the his his feature debut was incredible ex machina one of the best movies i've seen in a very long time i have not seen um, it it's super good and like it totally destroys what your expectations are of the movie when based on sort of like what you think of it before you go in which is very clever um and he's doing some adaptation at the moment um which looks like a totally bonkers sci-fi film which i'm super on board with always up for that um, yeah love a bit of bonkers sci-fi like um, Jupiter Ascending, which obviously we still need to watch <laughs> this at some point. Yeah, we totally need to. I'm sure it fits somehow. There's, yeah. there's got to be some love between dog-eared Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. 
Yeah, but um, Alex Garland also wrote the screenplay for the film of Never Let Me Go, which we also need to talk yes. about at some point, which is an yeah. excellent film and an excellent book. And I went to, I think around the time that the film came out, I went to a, a preview screening and they had Ishiguro in conversation after the film and he was saying that Alex Garland was basically the only person he trusted to adapt his his prose onto the screen, which I think tells you a lot about how good Alex Garland is at that kind of thing. And how rare that is as a skill. Yeah, I I I didn't go to that screening in person, but um I remember watching it afterwards, that discussion between the two of them. Um there was there was a there was a few sort of like interviews with both of them together and it was really interesting the way that they talked about how they sort of adapted the 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 original novel together and sort of bounced ideas off one another and how Ishiguro in particular understands that things need to change to be translated into a different medium which I think is something that a lot of people don't understand about like adaptations be they from novels or video game games is that something has to change in order to make it successful as a film yeah. um, and people get very precious about every single detail being included whereas in fact if you did that it would be disastrous you need to make changes um and it's all about knowing what the right changes are to make um which yeah. i think alex garland is an expert of because he's had so much experience working across different fields that what he creates often is very very good from an analytical perspective in terms of storytelling um which is great love him love him love him love him do you think he could have done a good job of adapting the twilight books bear in mind neither of us have read them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for all we know, the Twilight novels are up there with like Dune in terms of like great works that are never truly translated onto the big screen. Yeah, Garland's Twilight is like Jodorowsky's Dune. There'll be some big like illustrated book that you can buy. Yes, <laughs> although <laughs> although Dune is now getting a, a a new adaptation from Denis Villeneuve. Oh, really? Yeah, man, the man behind Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which yeah. I've also not seen. Which you should see. It's very good. Yeah. I've heard I've heard good things generally. Some I've heard some people uncomfortable with the kind of the patriarchal slash misogynistic elements of it. Um, that they're perhaps gratuitous, even though they're in the context of a society that is that way. So it's you know it's commenting on that rather than presenting that as being the logical way of things. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, talk bad about other people's opinions, but that's total bullshit um it's very very clearly framed as deliberately critiquing the misogyny of this society that's been created it's super obvious like super 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 obvious um so yeah yeah <laughs> that's what i thought um yeah no it, it's it's a really good film um should def go watch it but it's mega slow so cool. you need to be in the right frame of mind I, I'm i'm okay with that but um, yeah, I think Dave Egg has very much succeeded in writing a, a killer script for this one and telling a great story as well. But the the format of the film is quite unique. I think um, it's not you know it's not the first ever kind of road movie or to film to you know throw you into a bunch of different locations in sequence to try and reach a point. But the way that it handles it, I think, is really really good because it's not necessarily a it doesn't it doesn't even feel that kind of linear really. It's right. Like no, the basic premise is you've got this couple. They're the the only reason they live near live where they live is because his parents are there. They're about to have a kid, and his parents are also moving away. So they're like, "Where do we want to live?" And then they go around and visit all the places where they know people, 
to try and decide where to live. And then in the end, obviously, spoiler alert, they end up living in her parents' home, which they already had but didn't think about because her parents died when she was in college. So it kind of comes full circle in that way. It was quite a neat ending, I think. Although that that ending is kind of my only gripe with it because it's like you see them driving up to the parents' house, but up until the previous couple of scenes, it's not really been talked about much. So that I felt like the element of the parents' house being an option was not Chekhov's gunned early enough in the film, I thought. Yeah, they don't really do a very good job of um, sort of hinting at that opportunity. Um, so there's a, a brief discussion between Maya Rudolph and her sister um, where it sort of gets briefly disc- discussed as well, but it doesn't still doesn't really feel like it's quite satisfactory at the end, even though you're like, oh yeah, this is a really nice, neat ending. Because you haven't had that kind of emotional build up to that potential, you know, final point, it does feel quite sort of like abrupt, as it were. Um, but it's it's only a slight niggle. It's it's yeah. just something that maybe could have been done slightly slightly better. It feels a bit tacked on, but because the rest of the film is so good, you don't really begrudge it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just it's one of my one of my favorite films, especially in terms of like the dialogue and the way it portrays the the intimacy between the two of them. It's just yeah. Like there's there's really great chemistry between them and all the lines and stuff between them are really good and it they, their characters develop really well over the course of the film as they they get through it and there's there's, there's little scenes between them uh, also the, the pace of it is really good so you've got the scenes between just the two of them where you're exploring their intimacy it's like they're on the way somewhere like they're all, they're on the train to wherever and she's going you know you never you never get angry we should fight whatever and and they have that scene where he's like fake angry and he's going you've done something wrong and I'm really bothered by it and he's trying to get the heart rate up it's very that's very funny but then obviously it spends a while with some of their friends and then there'll be a hilarious scene there and every every performance is good, you know? Yeah, it is. It's one of those great things where or like you have these moments of intimacy between the two of them that kind of like punctuate the meetings with the people that they know and the people that who are they're sort of looking at not for advice, but for sort of like direction into where they should be. Um and um and it every single part of it feels really nice to experience as a viewer. Um, so you're not quite like bored when they're not with other people. Um, it's really nice that you get to see them on their own as well. Um, and and their their relationship feels really genuine, which I think is super important in a film like this. Um, it doesn't feel like it's kind of like a fake movie relationship. Everything that they do kind of feels real. Um, which is really nice. And so it, it, it's almost like you're getting to know this couple as you're watching the film instead of just being taken along on this story. Yeah, you, you do. You feel like you could be part of their kind of friend unit or somewhere, somewhere along the journey that they might stop off, stop off. But what is good about the ending is that they it kind of implies that they, they're not going to be near anyone. Obviously, they're not, but they're, they don't need to be defined by anyone. And that's a, it's a kind of um, us versus the world idea, which is also a good way of portraying intimacy. And especially if you're going to have a kid and you're going to be a family and you're going to the, the closeness and the importance of that element of a relationship is really emphasized by that. So in that sense, I do really like the ending, but that wouldn't work if you hadn't had a really good sense of their intimacy throughout the film. 
built through all lots of very very funny scenes including the opening scene in which it's 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 sort of a sex scene and i noticed i've seen this film loads of times but i never noticed until the rewatch for this that he's wearing his socks and you just see his feet with like his socks on poking out the bottom of the bed (laughs) yeah it's it's it you're right it's kind of it's almost similar to um oh god what's the name of the movie that we watched earlier in the podcast twilight uh yeah, it's almost it's almost similar to Twilight because John Krasinski is a sparkle vampire, <laughs> and Maya Waldorf is a uh, Rudolph is a um, did you want to say Maya Wolfdorf? <laughs> I did. I had <laughs> Maya Wolfdog. Maya Wolfdog. Yeah, that's her um, alter ego. Yeah, uh, they're they're totally like. Yeah, that they, they are. They are totally and absolutely. Um, just like a Twilight movie, this film. Uh, I thought we'd just accidentally put Twilight back on. Yeah. Everyone um, was shining in the sunlight. Yeah. Um, I was. I thought that Maggie Gyllenhaal's kid was actually an immortal vampire child. It is, it is actually a, a very, very creepy kid. But the kid's name is Wolfie. It is, yeah. Oh, my Wolfie. God. So maybe it's, maybe it's actually a, um, a, a wolf child instead yeah i think that that scene the dinner scene with maggie gyllenhaal and her partner roderick i think that is my favorite scene in the whole film it's so hilariously funny like it's um she's this this kind of a professor of gender studies or something um and they're like her and her husband are obviously like pretentious trust fund people who you know just kind of always done what they wanted and been able to afford whatever they want and they're like you know they're culturally appropriating all sorts of things. Like when she opens the door to her house, she says "Namaste" and stuff. It's really, <laughs> yeah. really awful. And he and um he he buys her. They buy her a stroller because she doesn't have one, or as we as we call it in the UK, a pram. I think is the accepted accepted language. Um, and then she's she like, why would I? She's like really offended by it. She's like, why would I push my children away from me? Um, but then obviously they have a dinner and they're being pretentious and condescending and he finally cracks and it's really good for John Krasinski's character as well because it's the moment when you know he's kind of really 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 docile and chill but this is the thing that annoys him the most in the whole film and he just goes you're a terrible person which is something like to see someone actually say that it's really you know people often insult each other and fight and get angry or whatever but you don't hear someone saying that. And that's the kind of thing that you want to say to someone in those kind of situations. Like I'd like to say that to someone like Katie Hopkins or Jacob Rees-Mogg or whatever. But the fact that he gets to do that, you're like, yes, come on. But then yeah, he gets, (laughs) he gets the kid in the stroller and he's pushing him around. And, um, she goes, this is the funniest line in the whole film. She goes, I reject your aggression. And he goes, I reject your unbelievable bullshit. (laughs) it's so good yeah that that's easily my favorite segment of the film is when they're meeting up with them and yeah when they when they have dinner with them and they sort of get shown around the house and they've got this giant bed that the whole family sleeps in um and they make love in front of their children (laughs) and stuff like that it's just planning on hiding your love making from your children but it's just oh it's uh, there's there's so many great characters in this um and like they almost feel like caricatures but in the best possible way and that like you think there couldn't surely be people that are like this in the world but then you sort of think oh wait no there is i've met people like this that are just so extreme 
weirdly weird in this way um and it's yeah it's just super great that's um, it i feel like a lot of the characters are very close to caricature but they don't quite cross the line because and because bert and verona the two character the two central characters because they're they're very realistic and it it the kind of the caricature people rub up against them and they almost kind of cancel each other out it never quite crosses the line and says, okay that wouldn't happen everything is totally believable and i think that's a real masterful thing about developing characters as well especially um alison jenny's character which i feel like it's one of her best performances in anything so so funny and really kind of it makes you cringe a bit as well it's almost like the cringe comedy of someone like um like ricky gervais but it never quite gets to the point where it's gratuitous and stupid you know she's just genuinely really funny yeah yeah it's great um and yeah it works that that really fine line um between sort of like that that awkward comedy of Ricky Gervais and like being genuinely likable in 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 that kind of awkward horrible way so she's much closer to to Michael Scott office than Ricky Gervais office yeah um in that it's like oh this person's kind of awful but I kind of love them at the same time yeah, that's the thing I think that was so clever about the American office is even though Michael Scott is a terrible guy who makes terrible decisions, you're always rooting for him. You yeah, always yeah. want him to succeed and to do well and for everything to come to work out for him because you can see that he's trying his hardest. And I guess with her character, it's a similar thing. Where she's, just, she's got two kids and they're like young, they're like, I guess like young teenagers. And she's just talking in front of them to her friends like about how she thinks her daughter's a lesbian and being very rude and horrible. But And like she's drunk and shouting at her husband, like, I used to have nice jugs, right? And she's like, she's being this kind of weird, offensive caricature of a, yeah, of a sort of, deranged mum but it's never it never feels like a mean caricature she's yeah it's just very very funny yeah for sure it it works in such a great way and her husband as well yeah that's um, um, that's jim gaffigan he's yeah. very he's very very funny i think he, he's just very very good stand-up as well uh, i've not seen any of his stand-up before but yeah he's really funny in it and he's got this kind of like not kind of like paranoia but slightly sort of like conspiracy theory edge to him about like all the water running out and things like that he's got this kind of doomsday <laughs> mindset which is just absolutely hilarious yeah wait who do you, do you think he is more of a flat earther than maggie gyllenhaal and her husband uh i think they're probably all flat earthers aren't they to be honest yeah i think they're they're maybe come from uh from two sides of the flat earth coin or of the flat earth plane as it were um so one of them is sort of like on the on the survivalist prepper side and one of them's on the more sort of like hippie earth is actually on the back of a turtle kind of Earth is actually on the back of the turtle and the government uh the government are lying to you about it yeah yeah for sure i think i think that yeah so that so they're very very different kinds of flat earthers but um yeah and there yeah there, there are disagreements in the flat earth community as we've discussed yeah. in fact yeah i reckon um jim gaffigan is the survivalist he's that he believes that um you know the earth is flat but all the other planets are round um and the earth is the only one that's flat whereas 
Maggie and uh, and Roderick. <laughs> they um they believe that some of the other planets might also be flat. That the Earth isn't the only flat planet. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where the divide lies. Um, I think yeah. My my favorite character in the movie, aside from Maggie Gyllenhaal and Roderick, um, is definitely the little kid Beckett who's there in yeah. in the hotel. And and his it's just this tiny inconsequential scene, um, but uh, his, this this kid called Beckett, his mum is showing him around, and he's point she's pointing at things and saying like, "What's that, Beckett?" And he's saying what it is, um, and then sort of out of nowhere, he he sort of comes up to my Ru- Rudolph and and just says super creepy serial killer stuff. Yeah. Um so he says he says babies like to breathe and they're good at hiding it. I put a pillow over a baby. I thought she wasn't breathing but she was. She was sneaky but I'll try again. <laughs> and then he just gets so... taken away by his mum and it's just like, "Oh my god, where did that come from?" It's, um yeah. And it's like it's in be- it's in between just two scenes of them like meeting people and it it, it doesn't really bring anything to the plot or anything. It's totally unnecessary, but it is really like funny in that really absurd way where you could just about imagine a kid saying that, but it is outlandish. But yeah, that's become like a running joke in our house. It's like, if anyone ever says that anyone's sneaky, you always have to edit and they'll try again. (laughs) But like, um, it's one of those things that's like, kids do say really creepy stuff all the time. Um, And like, so so that kind of caricature of that really works in this sense because they're two people that are really without direction they're not sure where they're going to go what they're going to do they don't know what their life's going to be after the kid so there is that kind of panic that's like oh my god when our baby's born is it going to end up being a psychopath and so that that kind of ties into that which is really smart and so it, it does all of these things in a really absurd way and it talks each of the people that they sort of talk to it reflects one of their great fears about becoming parents um and about living their life as a family unit instead of as a couple um which i think is really clever and they do it all they 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 don't hit you over the head with the message for each section either which is really nice um and yeah it's just a really well put together film it's very clever yeah i think if they did try and hit you over the head with the message about them being worried about becoming parents the film would not be interesting to anyone who is not a parent and I think I guess there are other films that do that, I suppose, or that just aren't accessible to people who don't really identify with the central message. But because it's such a great story, and the characters are so engaging, like I I love it, and you know I'm not a parent, and it's it's never like I never thought I always loved that side of the story, but that wasn't really it's such a universal message of you just wanting searching for kind of meaning and acceptance and intimacy i suppose and all of those things are the real message and parenting is just a a part of that for them yeah yeah for sure and like i think the other thing that helps it work is that although they've got all of these fears there's still this confidence in them that whatever happens it's going to work out for them um which helps drive it along so they're not sort of like moping and they don't have this there's not like this overriding concern that they're going to fail because they do believe that they love each other more than anybody else has ever loved each other before. And you get the sense that whatever happens, they're going to make sure that it works. And that helps like propel this plot effectively. You're not stuck with two people who are like overtly concerned about what's going to happen next. They, they're just trying to work out some of the specifics and they may be some of the more important specifics, like where you're raising your child 
but um it they do it in such a a careful way that it it does feel like there's a there's a confidence there there's there's a competency there as well yeah definitely but at the same time you get the little scenes where she just turns around to him she's like are we are we fuck ups are we doing this wrong are we doing this right that kind of thing those kind of doubts that everyone has you know so they feel very human as well because there are moments when they are very very confident and confident and moments when they seem very very low like when they're, when they're on the train and she's just like i'm tired of this i'm tired of that that kind of thing and then he says that he'll love her even if he can't find her vagina it's a, it's, a, it's a tender moment. <laughs> yeah, it is a tender moment. Um, yeah, and, and 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 that's what I was saying about these moments that make them feel more like they're real human beings is that like lots of people have those kind of silly in-jokes and, and stuff like that and and that crudity that comes with with like knowing someone intimately where you can talk about stupid stuff like that um, without it being like an obscene thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, there's a real tenderness to them, even when they're being their most sort of like outlandish, which I suit very much like. It's 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 great. Yeah, and to have that kind of that portrayal of people's in jokes and stuff is a thing that could fall very very flat because it's a thing that's supposed to only make sense to those two people, but that you as an audience member and an outsider have to get, and you do get it. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a very careful line to tread is working out that um but you're right that you do get all of these in jokes that they have um and yeah it's it it just works incredibly well it's a really good film yeah what i i really like as well is the um the exploration of you know adults and the relationship with your parents as adults as well which i think is like with with his parents and obviously her parents are dead but when they they have the scene with jeff daniels and Catherine o'hara and his parents are obviously kind of a bit embarrassing and she says to to, to Maya Rudolph, like, just how black do you think she'll be about the baby? Because she's like mixed race or whatever and stuff. And they're obviously really embarrassing, but still kind of kind of lovable. And it's it's not that long a scene, but it made me think that like you don't get that kind of relationship explored that well in film either. Yeah, it's true. Um that yeah, that kind of Often the relationship between parents and children and in-laws is is done in such a slapstick way. Um, so films like Meet the Parents and things like that, um, it's 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 very rarely done with a real sort of care and attention. Whereas in a way we go, it really is. Um, which again is is just great testament to the to the script that was put together for this film. Yeah. And yeah, they're sitting at the, t- the dinner table. <laughs> the only way it'll happen is if we're in Belgium. We have news. We're moving to Belgium. <laughs> John Krasinski just goes, no, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, we are. Like, okay. Yeah, when they do, because he says as if we've moved to Belgium and then John Krasinski gives that little joke and it is the kind of thing that's like, oh, is this just a weird thing that his dad would have said? And like yeah. you do have those moments where like where like your your parents will say something really weird and you're like yeah that's that's a joke I guess I'll give a little fake laugh and it will be fine. Is it is it a dad joke? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's just the making thing. a dad joke. It yeah it feels it feels like a dad joke and then it turns out that it's that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you got that and then well, so you get the parents first, and then in between them, yeah, you've got like 
that it's never clear where they live at first, but they've actually got quite a cool house. It seems to be some kind of rickety old bungalow, but it's like secluded. And something about that I really like, although obviously then there's a scene where they've got no heating and they're all like warm in their hands by some electric heater or whatever. So it's like they've got to move to somewhere else. But actually you feel like they're they're doing okay because they can afford to take this trip around to wherever they're going. I mean, they're staying in motels, but they're still flying and taking trains and whatever. So yeah, you get you get the feeling that they're, they're doing all right, but yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a cool house, but maybe not somewhere you'd want to you'd want to raise a child. But then the the scent of all the other places is really really good. But what's really really interesting is that it was all filmed in Connecticut. Oh, was it now? Yeah. Oh, so they just managed to find places that looked like the places they were trying to they were trying to portray, rather than going to all those places, which oh, I that's think very they clever. To pull off. Yeah, I never I never would have thought that you'd be able to get, you know. Montreal, Phoenix, <laughs> in and do they go to Miami as well? No, there's Montreal, Phoenix, um, and Madison is the place. Madison, between, yeah, they go to Madison, Wisconsin. And then where's uh, where's where's John Krasinski's brother? Oh yeah, that is in no, no, that is in Florida, isn't it? Yeah, it's Florida yeah. somewhere, maybe not Miami, but yeah. So so they've got all of these different places. Um, oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, which I think is a testament to the director's vision as well. It was directed by Sam Mendes, yeah. who I believe is the. Did he direct Skyfall? He did. He's 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 directed a that's super strange collection of movies. So and he's like he a starts... theater guy as well. Yeah. So he started with American Beauty. Oh, then he shit. Did Road to Perdition, then Jarhead, oh, yeah. then Revolutionary Road, then ah. Away We Go, and then he did a couple of Bond movies. So he's really, he's jumped around genres an awful lot. And um, the, the sort of only thing that really keeps his movies together is just how gosh darn pretty they are, I suppose. Yeah. He, he's a wonderful director. Revolutionary Road is one we should talk about as well. I've read the book and the and it's um as, as well as having seen the film and they're both just so bleak, but yeah, like said, it does it does <laughs> look um it looks very very amazing. But the the contrast with the the bleakness of the characters genuinely it's kind of very chilling and left me feeling dead inside. We could we could um, do a double bill of that and Blue Valentine just to bum ourselves oh, out. Jeez, even looking at Ryan Gosling's <laughs> handsome face can't redeem it yeah that yeah you can't you can't come out of that movie feeling happy and fuzzy yeah it's a a... well maybe our theme for the rest of november is just incredible bleakness (laughs) all right i'll have to rethink what my movie choice was yeah and i'll think of something super bleak it'll be all right but yeah so wow i i didn't know he directed american beauty yeah yeah that's a film I, I have not seen it in a long time, but I remember really, really liking at the time that it came out. But I'm not sure it would necessarily hold up now. It might kind of it might seem a little pretentious. I'm not sure. Yeah, I rewatched it a few years back, and it still held up pretty well. Um, it's it's one of those films that sort of it became immediately um, like a part of the pop culture vernacular which I don't think helped it is that it became so iconic that people were just able to immediately ape like scenes from it and things like that. Um, yeah. which I, which I don't think's helped in terms of its longevity. Cause you kind of like now you probably think of one of the jokes that was made about American beauty as you're watching it. 
Um, but it's still a it's still a, a a clever film in that kind of like um, uncovering the perversions that lie underneath suburban normal life kind of way. Um, yeah, and there weren't many films that had done that up until that point in such a deep way. I guess. Yeah, most of them had sort of covered it in more of a strange way. So things like um, Blue Velvet mm. um, and things like that. Um, yeah, so it's it's an in, it's an interesting film. It still holds up quite well. Um, there is um, a character in the parody film, not another teen movie, who is the like the creep with the camera who has the plastic bag always hovering near him, and they're like, "Oh yeah," and that's his bag. Oh right, okay. <laughs> as we've talked about that film before, as like yeah. kind of being the only, I think it was the first of those kind of parody films, like Vampires Suck or whatever that we talked about. I think I think we should watch that at some point because I think it might still well, hold not up. Another so many movie. of so many of those like jokes and gags have stayed with me. <laughs> cool, we'll get on it. What came first, not another teen movie or scary movie? I, I think scary movie was a year or two before. But it was made by some the same people, maybe. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, scary movie is is bad. That's a bad bad film. Yeah. Um, whereas I remember not another T movie. I don't remember it very well, but I remember vaguely laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. You have the vague um, laughs. Yeah. Not the yeah. lols. The vague. The vague not, laughs. Not, not the pure lols. I think the problem with scary movie is that it was satirizing a film that was already a satire. It was just yeah. a much more clever satire. <laughs> Which yeah didn't didn't go down too well. Whereas not another team me movie was just kind of steal a bunch of jokes from rom coms, make them cheaper and stupider, and you know, attach them to a thinly veiled retelling of Ten Things I Hate About You. There you go. It's a film done. <laughs> Bingo. I mean that that's the pathway to success. Yeah, this is what we should be doing. Yeah, what are we doing wasting our time talking about movies when we could just be stealing the jokes of the movies we watch? Yeah, or well, if anything, it tells us that Sensations is too highfalutin. Yeah, yeah, we need to we need to have more outright plagiarism. We need to go true lowbrow. Yeah, yeah, proper lowbrow. Every, every five seconds, there has to be some kind of fart joke. Yeah, or just farts. Or just farts, yeah. Not even fart jokes, just farts. Just people breaking wind, that's all. Yeah. We could call it Breaking Wind Part One. You know, two. <laughs> I can't be the first person to have made that joke. No, I'm sure that's probably a joke in one of the scary movie movies. Yeah. Or in, in Vampires Vampires Cuck. Oh yeah, Vampires Vampires Cuck. That's the alt right version. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the alt-right must have a real problem with Twilight because it kind of, it pervades some of the message that they want in terms of the place of women in society and things like that. But at the same time, it's sparkly vampires or ethnic minority wolves. Yeah. And they must have they a real def- problem with both. They're definitely Team Edward because they like all the white-faced vampires. Uh, I'm sure they're very, very offended by the brown wolves and their desire to defend the land that the white people have stolen from them. Yeah, but then the vampires are all a bit rubbish. And like I don't think they'd like the sparkle. They'd see it as yeah. too effeminate. Definitely. They definitely think that like that the vampires have all been cucked by the wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Cuck vires. 
because <laughs> um, the wolves are, are way more manly, and they're all living in like the bro house. That's yeah. where all the alt right bros want to live. The Proud Boys. You know about the Proud Boys? <laughs> the Proud Boys. This is like a, a subset of the alt right um, Meninists. Um, I can't remember. It's. I think I can't even remember why. It's like it's something. Maybe they're like fans of Milo or Richard Spencer or something, but they're called the Proud Boys. Oh my god! It, it, they were made by the co-founder of Vice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's Gavin Gavin McInnes. Who yeah, the, the 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 wacko is a massive nut yeah. and just a, a knob. But I like a lot of what Vice does now. Yeah, he he's not a part of it anymore, is he? Yeah, no, it, and it, it was it started to get good after he yeah. sold it off. He 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 got he got binned off. Yeah, in two in two thousand and eight, he left Vice. Yeah. And then so after his, that, it started getting good. How Vice used to be is what led to it being parodied on Nathan Barley as Sugar Ape. Yes, yeah. So basically, he is Jonathan Yeah. He he is Jonathan Yeah. Oh my god, this is incredible. Are you reading about the Proud Boys? I'm reading about the Proud Boys. What's well, the thing? They they don't masturbate, or they masturbate once a month. I think that's the that's the thing. I'm I'm reading through their ten tenets at the moment. Okay, read read them out. Read them Number out. one, venerating the housewife. Okay. Two, closing all prisons. Three, arming the citizenry with guns. Four, legalizing drugs. So that's where the vice aspect comes in because they right. they've always been all about the drugs. Yeah. Five, ending welfare, which goes really well with allowing everybody to get high on heroin. Yeah. Um. Six, ending immigration. Seven, banning censorship. Um, well, isn't banning censorship a form of censorship in itself because you're banning it? Um, eight, glorifying entrepreneurs, apart from if they're migrated entrepreneurs, yeah. obviously. Um, recognizing the West is the best. Um, and shutting down the government. Uh, shutting down the government works really well with banning censorship and ending immigration um, because you don't need a government to do either of those things yeah this is what I always find hilarious about people who are like genuine libertarians it's like like there's just so much that you you need like the kind of governmental infrastructure for to enforce the ideas of libertarianism It's, it's it's a paradox isn't it it's a paradox you can never resolve you can never have a truly free state, but yes, I mean, I guess there are li- libertarians always argue that there's some kind of continuum, but yeah, there's always you could always find some kind of immediate flaw with it. Well, the vast majority of libertarians, I don't want to say all, because there's some people who genuinely believe in in that ideology, but a lot of them um, are basically just ultra conservatives who want to get high every now and again. Yeah, and that's and who really, really don't like paying taxes. Yeah, <laughs> and that, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, that, there's there's still lots of libertarians who genuinely believe in more of a sort of like the kind of sort of hippie ideal of, of freedom from government, um, yeah. and freedom to to do what you want. But a lot of it, I, I mean, it's quite interesting how many people who who convey themselves as libertarian have been awfully silent about um, the rise of the alt right, which is actually a very increased government sort of like ideology um it's it's increasing the amount of government oversight of society in general 
and lots of them don't seem to have a problem with that. Yeah, um, which kind of goes against what libertarianism truly is. Um, yeah, there are so many unresolved about... ways when you look at it. I like, kind of opposed to authoritarianism. Some people see authoritarianism as the op- is the the complete opposite of libertarianism, but some people think that you know you need it to enforce things like you say ending immigration. There's just there are so many contradictions at the heart of the Proud Boys that I don't know what they're proud about. Proud about being a bunch of dumb fucks. <laughs> So yeah, the the guys in the wolves and Twilight are definitely proud wolf boys. Yeah, proud proud wolf boys. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I like how we're on the episode after Twilight and we're still talking about it. Yeah, it's it's left a huge imprint on our lives. Um, yeah, but that's not what away we go is about. There is a distinct lack of wolves apart from one child called Wolfie. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And quite a creepy child called Wolfie. Yeah, a very creepy child. But a kid that seems to have some life injected into him by being pushed around in a stroller. Yeah, he chooses to get in the stroller, which is like is very, very good for him. It tells you that even though his parents are completely wackadoodle, namaste cultural appropriators, that he's going to turn out fine. His rebellion is going to be that he takes like classes in economics. He's mm. like, fuck you, dad. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to business school. Yeah, his dad would hate that so much. He he's he's uh he's ripping down his Frank Zappa posters in his room and putting up Kraftwerk posters instead. Yeah. Another great thing about that scene is it's the small details, but you know when they and again, I didn't notice this about the first three or four times that I watched the film. Um but when they, they walk into the house, she's like, Oh, take off your shoes and there's like a rack of slippers. And the pair of shoes that he puts on have like toes that curl up at the end, like a like a sort of Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> elf man, and with his kind of big frame, and he's still got his coat on, but he's in these like like elf shoes. It's really it's such a funny image, and when you see it, it's just yeah, I that, I laughed out loud the first time that I saw it. But it's um it's a film that is really really hot on those kind of small details that provide kind of subtle comedy that feeds into the the larger comedy of. Yeah, the the fallibility of of people, I guess. Maybe you meet a lot of people who just kind of have some kind of hilarious flaw about them, but it never feels mean. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's what's great about it is that you've got. I mean, there's a couple of people in this where in 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 the film where they're not kind of there to have their flaws revealed in a kind of jokey way, um, where they're genuinely sort of like dramatic scenes uh that that evoke a lot of sympathy and a lot of empathy in them but you're right that for a lot of them you're kind of just seeing these very bizarre people and all of their flaws and realizing that i mean a lot of these people that they're still going to remain in decent contact with them maybe not see them that often because they're clearly wackos but yeah um, I don't feel like they're going to keep in touch with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character after he leaves the house. No, no. I think gladly, I think, you fucking lunatic. Yes, I think his negative energy will not be allowed <laughs> near Wolfie. Yeah, they scene. they rejected his aggression. Yes, they did. Um, but yeah, like it, it's it, but it's an interesting film the way in which it has all of these characters that like you love and find awkward and terrifying in the exactly the same time, you know. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, there's kind of, there's four sets of five, is it? Because you've got, you've got Alice and Janney and 
and Jim Gaffigan as the conspiracy theory slash um, lunatic friend. Um, and then they go from there to her sister, who's quite mm-hmm. who's quite normal. Yeah, so, most normal person of the lot. Yeah, and she's with her. It's quite simple, but then that that's a build up of Maya Rudolph's character because you have the tender scene between them in the the bathtub store, and they're talking about their parents. So you get a little hint of the stuff about her parents there, and why they don't want to move to the house, and why she doesn't want to get married to him because she didn't want to get married without her parents there, and that's kind of a recurring theme as well about their relationship and about intimacy and family and about kind of trying to build their family off the back of that and about the way that you have these kind of tragedies and moments in life and how you respond to them and that kind of that builds quite well through the film as well so yeah you got the sister and then they go to um crazy Maggie Gyllenhaal and Roderick and then after that they go to Montreal with mm-hmm. the college friends, yes, and that, it's um, yeah, Chris Messner and oh, what's that woman's name? Who is his wife? Oh, um, she's been in a bunch of stuff, but I can never yeah. remember what I remember her from. And their performances are both really, really good as well. They're in this um, this huge house, and they're fostering loads of kids. But it turns out that they they want to have kids of their own, and she's had like five miscarriages. And there's a very, very tender scene in a strip club which shouldn't that shouldn't be a sentence that works but um it's or it's amateur night in the strip pole dancing club and she dances to um a song by the velvet underground and it's really and at the same time as that's going on um chris messner is telling john krasinski that she had a miscarriage last week and that's i think is a really really clever juxtaposition of that image and there's a really well chosen song and yeah, it's a very, very tender scene. So from after Maggie Gyllenhaal's bit, it starts to get quite a bit more serious, I think. And the comedy yeah, starts I think to so. fall out. Because then you've got the um, disintegration of John Krasinski's brother's marriage um, or girlfriend, I can't remember which. Oh, it's um, marriage. And um, and yeah, all kind of... Yeah, you, you get mu- much more heavier overtones after that point and it, and and i suppose that's what kind of brings it to the climax more than the plot is you get you get more of this emotional dread that comes through before it all gets brought to a conclusion so it's it's a film that's more like it's more like ships passing in the night between john krasinski and Maya rudolph and these various characters that they made along the way as opposed to sort of like a finite story it's probably the best way to to think about it um and then they when they do finally reach their conclusion they've they sort of like hit emotional targets as opposed to plot targets i guess yeah and that's a very good way to think about to assess the screenwriting as well i think because often you know we talk a lot about films having no plot cough new moon cough (laughs) but um (laughs) like the, the the idea of chasing emotional targets at the expense of plot targets people would probably want to avoid that because it's very it's a lot easier to to or if a film has no plot people are just going to be bored by it but you do often lose the emotional targets at the expense of that so the emotional target is the most important thing and that's what i think really makes this film a, a success yeah i think so um and and it is a tremendous success in my opinion um yeah. i i really love this movie um, so is it is it worth us discussing 
our, our final thoughts. Yeah. So yeah, what else is there? Yeah, you got Chris Messing Earth. They go there, and then they go to yeah. His brother is played by Paul Schneider, who was in the first series of Parks and Recreation, and then left the cast, which was kind of a shame because he was he was good in that. Um, he sort of turns up as a sort of brotherly figure in a bunch of other things, and I can't remember what. Um, but yeah, even that kind of relatively minor character who only has about three minutes of screen time, very, very good performance as the kind of sad dad, and then you really feel for him. And then after that point, it's all it's all kind of emotional, emotional punching stuff. After that, you get him, um, John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph on the trampoline, talking about yeah their their future and stuff and yeah it's good it hits it hits you in the feels but because you've had all the very very funny scenes leading up to it um the the emotional stuff doesn't feel as serious because you know that their intimacy is built on um this kind of mutual comedy that you get between people who are truly intimate with each other so the comedy has built the intimacy so that the the serious stuff has more of an emotional impact and i i think to do to manage those two things to manage to get those things to all tie up is is a very very good thing in a, a romantic film yeah yeah defo defo so that's that's i think my my final thoughts on why it's such a such a good success oh i also want to mention the the um the scene where they're in like the pancake house and chris messen is doing like a metaphor thing He's like, this is, he's got the pancakes and this is your house. And he's got the jug of syrup and he's like, this is the love. And he pours the whole jug of syrup on the plate. I've always wanted to do that. I've been looking for an opportunity to do that in front of a crowd. <laughs> well, let's find a, let's find a pancake place, Paddy, and you can live your dream. Yeah. Yeah. The only other place I've been to like that is called the Waffle House in St. Albans. Shout out to the Waffle House. I've, I've heard great things about the Waffle House. And they have they have jugs of syrup on the table. So the next time I'm there, I think I'm going to do that. Make sure I'm there because I want some waffles. Yeah. If, if if I had a plate of waffles in front of me right now, I'd be all over those bad boys. Yeah, for sure. Waffles, pancakes. I can't I can't choose. Oh no, I prefer pancakes, but you know, waffles are still good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just checking my notes. Did I have anything else? And no, I think I think I've talked about everything. Yeah, Alrighty, it's, it's very very good, and it's what well, another thing is that it's it's good on the rewatch as well. I can't, yeah, I've lost count is. of the number of times I've watched it because it's one that's kind of easy to chuck on if you if you're thinking of something. If you, I think if you've already seen it, then it won't have as much emotional impact. But it's still the funny parts and the the intimate parts are enough to to give you some good feels. Yeah, I totally agree. Um... It's it's really good. I, I've I've watched it a couple of times a few years back. I haven't watched it in a few years, um, but rewatching it again, it was it was a really interesting film to watch. And you kind of pick up on new things as well, um, new sort of like intricacies in their relationship and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really nice. It's a nice film. It is nice. It's a good word to use, I think. Yeah, it's a nice film, like a good cup of tea. Yeah, it's, it's sort of it's it's comforting, comfort food, pancakes and syrup of films. <laughs> yeah, pa- yeah, pancake and syrup um, movie. Yeah, but it's um it's not necessarily like a romance, is it? It's more about intimacy. So I, yeah, I, I guess the, maybe the, I almost shoehorned it in a little bit, but the the, it's the romance still about two people. 
Yeah, the romance is already established, I think, is the best way to think about it. So there is romance there, but um, it's already in place by the time the movie starts. Um, yeah. Rather than... Um, yeah, rather than uh, it it being about... Uh, being about the the formation of their relationship yeah so the the ongoing romance of intimacy is the yes. is the thing yeah so exactly. the intimacy between guy fieri and his brother from another mother steve from smash mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah so do you um do you have anything to add, or should we should we should we rate? Should we rate it? Yeah, I think if we go ahead and rating, I don't think I've got anything else to add apart from that. I have a very good rating system for okay. this movie. I hadn't thought of one, so um, that's it. So, how many eggs would away we go lie, uh, lay in your brood pouch? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with. 19 eggs 19 that is super yeah. high that is I think the, highest, that's the highest, I think highest rating gone. i've ever given to anything that is that is excellent um i i would go for 17 yeah um yeah it it doesn't quite hit all the notes for me i think because the um the pacing is a little bit stilted at times but i really like this movie a lot um yeah it it uh yeah it it was so nice to watch a film like this after Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I suspect that you're rating it at a 17 because there aren't enough wolf boys in it for you. Yeah, it, it loses three points for lack of wolf boys. There's not enough like rough housing between wolf boys. Yeah. If it, if it had a scene where they're like, oh, what about if we go and live in Washington with my wolf boys? Yeah. And then John Krasinski was rough housing and wrestling with a bunch of wolf boys. <laughs> and then they're yeah, like... Just... It turns maybe, out he was raised by wolves. Yeah, <laughs> and, and maybe, and then after that, like, oh, maybe it's not the right place because there's all those sparkly vampires nearby. So we better go to your parents' old house. Yeah, it's kind of um, kind of a dangerous place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If if it had had that, then it would have pushed it to the full twenty. For that me, would have been a twenty-one out of twenty for me. It would have gone <laughs> surpassed our rating system. Yeah, twenty-one wolves. Out of twenty, not wolves. <laughs> You've got twenty-one wolves to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Good times. So it's your turn next. What do you got for us? It is. So um, it's been a while since we watched an old-school classic. Um, so we are going to watch Breakfast at Tiffany's. Ooh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, it has been quite a while since we watched something older than even probably the 80s or 90s. We had Barefoot in the Park and since then we haven't done any proper oldies, have we? No, no. So let's let's. So I I have said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? (laughs) And then he said, I think I remember the film. Yeah. Uh, uh, Will it turn out that we both kind of like it? (laughs) Find out in the next episode. I think I've seen it, but I have not seen it for a long time. So it may not, it basically will be a first viewing. But I think I've read snippets of the book because um, Truman Capote wrote it, right? 
Yes, yeah. Yeah, and he also wrote In Cold Blood, which is an amazing book. So you know that the source material is probably top-notch. So, yeah, that, that's a good choice, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure, man. Excited. Yeah. Do you have any other bits of follow-up? or? Um, No, I just hope that people enjoyed the torture that we put ourselves through to watch Twilight. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, a few people have have just replied to us being like, "Oh, well done! That was a that was a great achievement." Patting us on the back and stuff. Yeah, Some people said that nice. they thought that the the first Twilight film was the best one, and I think I agree. Do you agree? I I I love the fifth one. Oh, really? Yeah, I I I genuinely enjoyed that in a silly way. It had a baby being thrown onto a bonfire. <laughs> and people laughing maniacally as it happened and for me that's pretty much the pinnacle of a romantic movie to be fair the first one didn't have michael sheen and his demonic laugh in it did it no and it didn't really have any wolf boys either you didn't know they were wolf boys at that point this is true so yeah. marked down for lack of wolf boys marked down for lack of children getting thrown on bonfires marked down for lack of wolf boys story of my life <laughs> I think that's something that they put on some of my work at university. Like, yeah. <laughs> Rob, you could have got a first for this, but there's a distinct lack of wolf boys. Where were the wolf boys? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, thanks to everyone who tuned in to the Twilight episode. It was our longest episode yet. So there's a lot of a lot of hashtag content there. Really glad you all enjoyed that. But I'm sure you're happy that we're um we're back to normal. Yes, we're back chatting about actual purely romantic movies again Proper and it feels films. nice yes and yeah for anyone that has has made requests we will we will get to them we we have noted them all we'll get to them eventually but if you have any any other films you feel like we should be talking about any ideas about romance intimacy or anything or if you need romantic advice you know we're here yeah um my advice uh see what happened in twilight do that become a wolf <laughs> or become a vampire yeah um that way will lead you to the path of true love sparkle in the sun because you're a star throw toddlers on bonfires <laughs> um yeah i think that's the most important thing to remember is if you think a wolf boy would act the way you're acting then follow that path yeah follow the wolf in your heart yes not the wolf in your brain no, yeah. If it's between the wolf in the head and the wolf in the heart, the heart's going to win. Yeah, always. That's our advice to you. So maybe if we just have that as our only bit of advice and we don't give out our details, then we actually, yeah, we don't need any anyone to get in touch. Just remember that and everything will be fine. Yeah, exactly. If you need to but... get in touch, just follow the wolf in your heart and you'll know what to do. <laughs> Uh, but if you if you followed the wolf in your heart and you still feel like you want a bit more, you want to get a little bit closer to us, you can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail dot com or on Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Always love hearing from you. I thought it was wolfboysdon'tcry at wolfmail dot com. <laughs> wolfboysdon'tcry, wolfmail dot com. That's my yeah. that's my favourite site. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Instead of Google, it's Google. Google. I spell A and then seven O's GLE. <laughs> Everything digital for wolves. Yeah. Uh, all all of your digital wolf needs. 
Digital Wolf Needs. That's my new band. <laughs> I've started making like a list of or every time anyone says that, you know, when it's like you talk about things like, oh, that's that sounds like a good outlandish band name. And then in the next issue of my zine ball game, which I'll put out at some point, I'm going to have a page that is just a list of all those names. Oh, excellent stuff. So if you think of any of those, tweet those at us as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell us your band names. Yeah, but only wolf-related, please. Yeah, none of your normal ones. Give us wolf band names. Yeah, and if you if you do us any any vampire-related ones, we'll block you. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll come after you. We'll send the wolf boys after you. (laughs) You have been warned. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, watch out for that. Otherwise, thanks a lot for listening. We do really, really appreciate it. And we should say, if you if you have time, if you do like our show, do leave us a review on what was previously known as iTunes, I believe is now called Apple Podcast. It really does help. We want as many people to listen to this as possible so we can build up the strength and numbers of our Wolfboy clan. So if you if you have the inclination to leave us a review, um, please do. It'd be nice. Unless you're going to leave us a bad review, in which case, don't do it. Stop listening and go away. Once again, if you leave a bad review, the Wolf Boys will come after you. It's exactly. Just, it's not a threat, it's just a statement of fact. You've you've been warned. <laughs> you've been wolfed. You've been, you've been wolfed. <laughs> and we will know, because we have the technology of our ogle. Yeah, exactly. Although if you leave a good review, a bunch of Wolf Boys will come to your house and cuddle you with their soft fur. Yeah, they'll give you a bit of a cuddle, give you a bit of a rough house. Yeah. You'll have some you'll have some fun times with the Wolf yeah. Boys if you leave a good review. Yeah. Yeah, it, it'll it may maybe you'll have some dances with wolves. <laughs> 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 it's um I've never seen that. Is that a romantic film? No. Oh, no. If only. Kevin Costner though. If that's the reason that it's not romantic. It's about <laughs> as romantic as a dead fish. <laughs> He kind of looks like one. He does. He's got a bit of a fish face to him. Maybe that's why he was in Waterworld. (laughs) Yeah. Another film I would like to revisit, but is not appropriate for this podcast, probably. (laughs) No, there's there's very little romance in that. I'd say there's maybe a hint of romance, but overall that is a romanceless movie. Such a shame. Cool. Well, anyway, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. And we'll see you all next week when we will be discussing Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes, indeedy. Boom. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, we can't do our, like, woo anymore because it's not No, I know, I know. So I had to content myself with a little wolf noise. (laughs) A little wolf noise. Oh.